Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to the Career Lounge with Javil. Today we have a guest and I really like to have him on board because I'm a huge fan of positive psychology. I remember exposing myself to positive psychology during university and that really changed my life a lot. And I think it impacted me for the rest of my career and my life in how I view life in general with more empathy, with more gratitude and seeing things in a very different way. So today I have Matthew. Matthew is a positive psychology practitioner, life coach, and an educator with more than 10 years of teaching experience in local tertiary institutions. So he has a master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. He has done many like training workshops regarding well-being, resilience, character strength, work engagement, etc. It's like a lot of things that he do. He also provides individual coaching services. So if any of you like to you know, speak to him right after this podcast, I'm going to put his details in the show notes. He started the Positive Arena in 2019 to share tips and tricks with the community. And because he does a lot of sharing on LinkedIn and that's how I reach out to him. Yes, I blabber a lot. I think all of you would like to hear Matthew. So hi, Matthew. Hi, hi, Chavil. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. Matthew is not foreign to podcasts because he runs his own podcast as well, which I do listen as well. Today, we are like a, what do you call that, special appearance, like a, uh, yes. those US drama whereby you have a special appearance by so-and-so. Yes, Matthew is my special appearance in my show. So today, we're going to talk quite a bit on positive psychology, and we want to look at how positive psychology can be used in the area of leadership, right? So yes. we're going to come to that a little bit later. But I think many of us here on the podcast are just curious about Matthew's life journey and his story. And I love to hear stories too. So yes, Matthew, take it away. Walk us through a little bit about your journey. Thank you so much, Javel. Yeah, it has been a very humbling experience, to be honest. I started out in my teaching journey about seven over years ago in a local tertiary institution. But in total, I have about 10 over years of teaching experience. And I think... At the initial of my teaching career, I was very passionate about how do I make my class more interesting? How do I make my class students' energy come alive where they have a lot of fun in my lessons? And I think I, I did well in that. Students give me good teaching feedback and students did well for their academic studies. And I won quite a number of teaching awards. And I thought, hey, Matthew, you have done well. But the interesting thing is, over time, although students are doing well academically, I started to see or witness this prevalence and increasing like mental health challenges or issues that the students face, where students lost their own sense of identity or they could not adapt to work life after they graduate from the polytechnic you know, and they suffer from depression. So that was when I <clears throat> started challenging myself and asked, in the purest sense, right, what is the definition of education? Is it just merely preparing our students to get straight A's on their transcripts and we feel that we have done our job well as teachers and students have done their job well? But actually, that may not be the case. So that was when I wanted to find out what's this gap. And I realized this gap is actually the need for us to empower youths, young adult students with positive psychology, well-being, knowledge and skill sets for them to know how to flourish in their lives, adopting this more preventative approach. Because I think many of us, including we as adults, we sometimes don't really take care of our mental health. We always think that, oh, as long as I don't have depression, as long as I, I can lead day to day, I don't need to learn about all this. So what is it that we are trying to do? We're trying to approach it from a more problem-solving perspective. Only when you started having depression, then, hey, 
time to see a counselor, time to see a psychiatrist. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just thinking, can we then have a more preventative approach? So from there, I started running these workshops. I started doing coaching for students, even for working adults. And I get to understand that many people are actually facing issues with burnouts, with toxic work cultures, or even you know, like poor leadership, for example. And I think that ties in very nicely to what we actually want to talk about today, which is like positive leadership. So how can positive psychology be applied within the leadership domain so that employees can also be more engaged and you cut down the, the possibility of getting more and more employees getting burnout or having uh, mental illnesses? Yeah. Yeah, now that you're speaking on this, right, suddenly I feel like Whatever I've learned in my university, like maybe six, seven years ago, start coming back to me. The whole thing about social capital, about broader and build theory, and I'm like, oh, Professor Seligman is like talking to me again. <laughs> yeah, for those who do not know, that he's the father, godfather of yeah, uh, found, uh, the founding father of positive side. Yeah, correct. Oh, I missed him. I miss his work. I know positive psychology can be applied in many ways, and I think today, I think when put in a focus on leadership, but for everyone who are leaders out there, you are also an individual yourself, right? I mean, the leadership title is a title to you, but we hope that whatever we discuss and share today can also be maybe impactful to your own personal life, like you can transfer it. I'm pretty sure that can be done. All right. So without further ado, will Matthew enlighten us? What is this thing of positive leadership? Is it like, because it sounds like almost very airy-fairy, it sounds very yeah. like the next guru kind of word. So help us break it down. Sure, sure. When everyone hear about positive leadership, this people think like, wow, what does it mean? Does it mean that the leader just go around being positive at all causes and neglect the negative? Now, that, that's not what it meant. So positive leadership actually was Kim Cameron's work. So he published a few books on it. And there were actually three main themes or three main concepts that build up a positive leader. Okay, it may sound a bit profound or a bit cheap. Uh, so uh, I will break it down for the audience. So don't worry about that. But what he mainly said is that there are three aspects. Number one, having this positive, deviant performance. So leaders trying to enable this in the working environment. Next is having that affirmative orientation in the organization that we work in. And the last one is to have that focus on virtuousness and the best of human conditions. So there are three different aspects and I think we will break it down maybe slightly further to, to allow the listeners to understand what it really means. So like positive deviance, right? What it means is that organizations or even leaders are when they are leading their team, I think that there needs to be a shift in terms of um, focusing on how we can create that abundance of good and positive things. Because I think most of us, the natural thing that we want to do in our leadership role is we may want to prevent bad things from happening. So we always go into that natural firefighting mode, trying to look at hey, what are the problems that we have and we try to prevent the problem. So we go into this deficit gap, focusing on what is lacking and not focusing on how can we build abundance in the team. Because when we start to focus on what is lacking, what we need to do, we are actually, at the end of the day, right, we are just trying to do things to maintain a minimum standard. We are not trying to build towards striving for excellence, striving for exceptional performance at the workplace. So when we do that shift, so not saying that you ignore problems, but not just focusing on problems alone, but having sufficient time and efforts in the department to say, hey, you know, let's look at 
how can we look at what is really the ideal exceptional performance? Because when we do that collectively as employees, they will work towards together to achieve the outcome and they will then experience growth and development. So that is like positive device. So it's really creating that abundance of good and positive things. Okay. Then the second one, which is affirmative bias or orientation, it means that leaders need to adopt that mindset that let's move forward. Let's orientate forward. Don't always move backwards or even... So we, let's do a contrast. Uh. A leader that emphasizes on strengths, emphasizes on capabilities, possibilities, which is more moving forward. As compared to another leader that is focusing on what are the threats that we have? What are the problems that we have? What are the weaknesses of the team that we have? And then one leader that is more supportive in the way he communicates versus the other one that is more critical in the way we communicate. So you can see these two different kinds of leaders. So the positive leader will be one that is moving forward or more orientating forward. Now the last one, virtuousness, is actually talking about the best of human conditions. I always believe that each of us as individuals, wherever we are, it could be in a workplace, it could be in our families, our personal lives, we all strive to be a better version of ourselves. So when we are in the workplace, we do hear of stories where people don't want to become better, they just want to keep low in profile, that kind of thing. But there must be something that is stopping that person. So this virtuousness is really challenging leaders to think through, how can we facilitate the best of human condition? How can we create a working environment where people come together to build meaningful relationships, they find meaning behind their work, having this energy networks at the workplace and of course because it's related to how we connect with one another things like trust compassion integrity forgiveness strengths-based working environment all these elements actually come to play when we talk about virtuousness yeah so these are the three main concepts and i hope i've broken them down clear enough for the listeners out there yeah i mean it's really very straightforward. So let's just recap for those who maybe just joined me at this point. So we talk about positive deviance, right? Which means focusing on creating abundance of good and positive things. The second is affirmative bias. So focus more on moving forward, future orientated, and then virtuousness, which is talking about bringing out the best out of the people, the human condition. When you were talking about all this, I suddenly have this thought and feel free to mm. also give me your thoughts sure. as well, which is, I think the past two years of the pandemic, mm. we have seen examples of very positive leaders and the not yes. so positive leaders. And yes. I think when you were talking about all these, the definition of positive leadership, this person just came into my mind, mm. which is the founder and the CEO of Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Because when COVID hit, the whole co-sharing living just got disrupted. Travel will stop. And for them, they, which is very tourist accommodation-driven type of organization, so they cannot do anything already. And yes, I mean, their income, their revenue were impacted. But I think a lot of reasons out there, if you have followed me all this, I've talked about how, I think his name is Brian, something I can't remember his surname. <laughs> but he, when he did a town hall to let people go, it was a tough decision. He had to do it, but he do it with so much empathy. Uh, what he did mm. was he actually set up a page to showcase all the skill sets of the people he's letting go so that other tech firms can go into this database and look for people that they want. But what's mm. more impactful was he actually talked about how the organization can move forward. He wasn't sure. I mean, he couldn't predict when will COVID end. But he was telling them that one day things will get better. Right now, it's about biting the teeth and going through and it's painful. 
The other example that I know of is Tony Fernandez, the CEO of Air Asia. I think that was also a brilliant classic example where travel stopped. And instead of just wallowing in like, oh, I can't fly anymore, Air Asia went into, say, opening up food delivery. They went into payment. They went into point-to-point transport, private car hires, etc. Again, I think this, again, the concept of, yeah, right now we are in COVID. It's tough. It's crappy. But we need to move. Does Do these two examples resonate with whatever you have shared earlier? Definitely, Javel. I think you'll give a very classic good example of how leaders are actually adopting the concept of vulnerability, hope, and optimism. What do I mean by that? When leaders are vulnerable, they share authentically how they feel about the current situation and how they feel for their employees as well. And that is actually one of the precursors in building trust between the employees and the leader. Because if you go in and you don't have any empathy and you don't have any vulnerability, people will feel that, yeah, you don't understand me. You don't know me. So vulnerability is the first thing. And if you notice how, for example, how they provided alternative routes, right? Let's say uh, food delivery and stuff like that. What are these leaders trying to do? These leaders are trying to encourage the employees that sense of hope. When we say hope, it is really setting new goals, new directions, and creating multiple pathways to meet that organizational goal. So in a sense, they're trying to let employees know that we know that it's difficult now and we are trying to come up with new things to assure that we are going somewhere. That is that hope. And I think optimism is where having that mindset, things will become better. It is just temporal. So I think when leaders adopt the kind of mindset in trying to connect to their employees through this kind of common language, it also gives people that sense of security, which is much needed, actually, if you think about it, during this pandemic. Okay, like now things are loosening up, but, but you never know, I'm not trying to jinx it or curse it, but you never know how the virus will mutate again. And these kind of uncertainties actually put people really in a pressure cooker. It's like we are going on this emotional ride, right? Like you suddenly have hope and then you lose hope again and stuff like that. So when leaders really gather your employees and convey to them such messages, it actually builds up that, that team spirit. And I think that is also true what defines some of the characteristics of a positive leader. Just like talking about that, I can recall many leaders that maybe I work with or I spoke with, etc. Two things, right? Number one is mm-hmm. they feel that positive leadership is, oh, you're just being unrealistic. You're just being overly optimistic. The thing is, this is the truth. This is the current situation. Stop sprinkling fairy dust and no, that, that is just overly optimistic. That's not real. Second would be I see that opening up the vulnerability undermines me as a leader because as a leader, I'm supposed to lead the team. So I'm supposed to be this all-powerful, bulletproof, I am titanium thingy, figurehead. So what's your take on these two levels of responses that I normally hear from leaders or managers? I'm always an advocate for this concept of shared leadership. I'm a leader, I agree. I'm leading employees. But I, as a leader, also need to learn how to build leadership skills within the employees under me. It's not just about me alone. So I think shared leadership and even servanthood leadership, where I always feel that when leaders are humble enough to serve, when I say serve, not to serve you uh, coffee and tea, but to serve you in terms of to provide support, provide assistance, or even putting that mentoring hat to say, hey, I understand you. Like in a sense, you're new in your role. You may feel that it's a bit overwhelming, but I want to assure you that with time and practice and whatever, it will get better as compared to just whacking and scolding the employee upside down. And it just breaks off that trust and that relationship. So I always tell 
people that leadership, I choose not to look at it as, that's why people, some people also say they don't really like the term manager because sometimes manager seems like I'm managing you, not micromanaging you, but they prefer to use the word leadership because leadership is not about really authoritative and regimentation and stars. It's not about that power. I think humility in leadership is so important because when you are humble, I think most of us in one way or another, we have met really humble leaders before. And mm. what happens actually, we are more motivated and wanting to work for them. I used to have this leader, let's say the leader was telling me like, wow, work is piling up. There are a lot of things that are doing, quite a number of things on my plate. Okay, you try to do A, okay? I do B and C. And then, I was like, no lah, no lah, it's okay. You're also very tired. No lot of things on your plate. I, I can handle. Why not I take A, B, you take C, we'll do. Because you have so many other employees that you need to manage. When leaders are also vulnerable to say that they are also overwhelmed similarly, somehow as employees, we want to support more because we know that we are in this together. Rather than having that mindset, the leaders are just, okay lah, you go and do. You know, just let you go and drown and sing inside the deep blue sea while I survive floating on top. You don't want to give, portray the kind of image. And that is the kind of image that leaders will portray if they choose to be like that using power and authority very authoritarian kind of leadership style yeah i think the past two years have been like everything we need to know about leadership everything we need to know about future of work it all happened right it normally takes yeah. us like maybe five to ten years to research but everything just happened in two years and we know right now what kind of leaders we want to work with because we have seen terrible ones, but we have also seen people rising up, right? Leaders rising up to the occasion. And sometimes the process of rising up to the occasion is whereby they're willing to go down to the level of their staff, of their team and say, I'm with you. I do not yes. know what's going to be ahead. I have no idea. I have no clue. But we're going to figure out along the way. And I think that's also how I, I lead my teams as well, that, I can easily sit down with them on the sofa or in a cafe or during lunch and just say, oh, I had a bad day. And I, when I say that, I also destigmatize for them because they right now know that it's okay. And it's mm. fine. We all have a bad day. We all have times where we don't feel like coming to work. We, we are drowned at work. And so I think by leaders knowing that the core, your core identity is still a human that yes, mm. the leadership comes with that business responsibility they have, but ultimately at the end of the day, you are human just like any one of us. So how can we apply positive leadership on a day-to-day -day basis? How can we get it started? Yeah. So you see the three themes that I shared just now, positive defiance, affirmative orientation, and virtuousness. Now these are three big concepts that contribute to that abundance culture or positive leadership that we talk about. But there are many different kinds of actionable steps, strategies that leaders can adopt to make these concepts really come alive at the workplace. And it's not just limited to this. I believe inspiring leaders out there, they have a whole long list of things that they can do. But I think what really connects and resonates with me, firstly, is really emphasizing on growing strengths rather than spending so much time and effort in correcting weaknesses. So now, I know some of you listening to this, they may jump in and say, hey, Matthew, what do you mean by we don't want to correct weaknesses? If we just focus on the strengths, then what about some people's weaknesses is going to hinder the whole organizational growth? This is something that people always also discuss about. 
Now, so this is when I think as a team, when I was leading my own team, I think it's important that everyone does some form of strengths profiling tool to know each of them, what are their strengths. So like for myself, I'm a certified strengths profile coach and I actually help people, individuals and teams to be aware of their strengths profile and then to see and have an open discussion how each of the strengths can actually work in synergy in the context of work that they are in as a team. Now, what about the weaknesses? Some people say, then what about weaknesses? I have weakness, she has weakness, then how? The common question that I ask people about weaknesses is, let's think about the job role that you have. Is your weaknesses performance and business critical? If they are, then you need to improve it to a level, a minimum level, where it requires you to function and to deliver your job. Now, what do I mean by that? So let's say, Self-regulation is my weakness, for instance, okay? Then you think about the job scope. So let's say this is my job. I am just, uh, let's say I'm an administrative uh, officer. I don't manage people. I don't lead people. I'm just doing my own work, okay? Does self-regulation really affect your work very critically? So some may say, eh, not really. Maybe being more detailed, meticulous are strengths that are more critical. But in terms of self-regulation, it may not be as such. But if I'm a coach, if I'm a counsellor, and self-regulation is my weakness. It may be an alarm. Because if I keep hearing my clients telling me about all their sad stories and I cannot self-regulate my emotions, I get drawn into it so much that I couldn't exit out of it. So that is when you have to ask yourself, okay, this is your weakness. How can you improve it to a bare minimum level that you can still perform and function? Not being exemplary or excellent at the job, but minimally attaining a certain standard. But at the same time, you know what your strengths are. You allow your team members to really use that strengths meaningfully in their work. So I normally will ask my team members to reflect, how can your strengths help you in your work more intentionally on a day-to-day basis? That's where we have this open conversation. So I think the first thing that we should do is really amplifying and knowing. I think self-identity and awareness is key. You must know first. Then after that, as a team, Think about how you can work on it. I love it. I had to raise my hand so that I want to interject before before I forget because I have a goldfish memory. (laughs) I I love what you're saying because I think the best bosses in my life, they understood this. Mm. So I remember my ex-boss, one of my ex-boss, and I love her. I mean, in a way, I love her as a leader. Uh, (laughs) I remember I was in her room and we were just going through the... I, I think she was trying to wrap up the year end appraisal so we start giving letters line and then mm. she said she was like oh, we love your energy and we were thinking definitely you have certain areas of improvement blah 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 blah. we were wondering if it's faster and more beneficial to tap on your strength and you can deliver more outputs than to keep having you to work on your weaknesses and we figured that it's just faster to accelerate mm. your career with your strength that's one and second, when I remember there was a HR consultant that came to one of my organization and it was the same question, right? Oh, does that mean that we ignore weaknesses, etc.? And I thought what the consultant replied was, wow, like straight into my heart. He said, if you keep working on the weaknesses of that person, of your staff, what will ultimately happen or the max it will happen is just that they know how to cope with it, but they will not mm. excel in it because it's just not their natural strength. Correct. So if, let's say, they are not super meticulous, you can spend a lot of effort to get them meticulous, but they will not reach the point of like excellence in being like meticulous or attention to detail. They will just be able to hit the max of just being okay. I will just 
double, triple check my work. And just to add on, you see, positive psychology research has shown that when people use their strengths at their workplace or in their life more intentionally, they can flourish or feel that sense of satisfaction in life I think about 18 times more than one that is not using that strength at all. So you see, when we have self-awareness of strengths and we think about how we use and apply our strengths, it actually helps improve our own mental well-being unknowingly. So I think that is really important. Yeah. All right. right. Going back to the other steps that we can do to apply positive psychology, back to you, Matthew. Yes, yes. I think the next one perhaps is really about building that social capital. Like what you say, you suddenly recall about what you have learned in your university days. Uh. I mean, as the saying goes, right, people quit their bosses, they don't quit companies, some of them. Uh, okay? And I think that's when we need to understand that as a positive leader, you want to build that social capital to spend time in building that trust, building that human connections within the team. And there are many ways. I think just now I've shared a few tips and strategies, like really trying to be vulnerable, for example. But other concepts, check-ins with your staff, work and non-work related. I think especially in this pandemic where we adopted such a long period of remote working from home, I think it's so important that leaders are intentional in having informal phone calls, check in with your staff, how are they doing? Because that is where they feel that they still have the sense of belonging to the team to have that human connection. And of course, affirming their strengths. Really, strength spotting. What strengths do you see in your employees? And I want to give this excellent example of my director, which I'm so inspired by what he has done. So during Chinese New Year, what he did was he handwritten hundreds of cards uh, addressed to each employee and he wrote down what strengths he see in this person through the last year of working with him or her and passed it personally to the person with a bag of oranges. How would you feel if you're an employee in this organization under this director? You feel appreciated. Yeah. And some of them, it could be that there are many levels or several levels under him. It may not be inside, in his sight, but he still is authentic and sincere in writing those cards. And one small little card, I mean, I, I mean, some people may then, I have a friend outside say, for show only, I say, hey, to be honest, if you want to put on show, there are many other ways and more convenient ways of putting up a show. Why would you want to handwritten hundreds of cards? I say, this is what I call really authentic leadership. Really that enthusiasm in trying to affirm the staff's strengths and showing empathy as well. Because I think when we do that, organizations will function better because they feel more trusted and they can feel more positivity towards each other in terms of the working relationship. And especially during this kind of difficult trying times in the pandemic or remote working, social capital is actually a great asset that leaders need to really keep a lookout for. Because once you don't pay attention on social capital, what does it mean? The whole team identity just crumbles apart. After one year of disconnection, that's it. You, you don't really feel connected with your peers. And I think that's how this whole great resignation came about. You have seen how people are just resigning and resigning. Some people it's because of work-life balance, but there's also one aspect where they just don't like that working concept. So yeah, this is one of them. And the other one is to help employees to really connect their personal values to organizational values. You know, when we work in organizations, we know what the values are, but how can we then align our own values with organizational values? And I want to just quickly share with the audience about this guy called Michael Steger. Now, Michael Steger has dedicated his life really studying a lot into meaning 
meaning in life. And when he applied this concept in the workplace, in organization, so there's these three levels of meaningful work. If you look at the first level, it means that if our organization has some values that anchor the purpose of the organization and the work that it involves, that's level one, meaningful work. The second level of meaningful work is when the employee's work is in harmony with the organizational values and work. And you can see meaning in the workers or the employee's individual life. And the deepest level is when you fulfill the top two levels of meaning. And in addition, the work that you do benefited yourself and also benefit others around you for a greater good. You know, so we also hear about when people say when you're doing some work that impacts the life of others, you actually have a deeper sense of connection or meaning in your work. So why do I share this model? It's because I think it's important for leaders to have this open conversation with employees in your team and ask them, if I were to ask you, what is the meaning behind the work that you're doing? You know, what would you say? Just to find out and to see whether, I mean, we are not trying to force people to align. But if it's not aligned, then we can ask things like, what are your strengths? What are your values? How do you think this can contribute in the bigger picture in driving the organizational goals and purpose? Yeah. So this is really more on the helping people find meaning behind their work. And I think some of you who are listening, you may have heard of such things like job crafting, especially when people are so disengaged at their work and they start to really wonder why am I here at the first place and job crafting actually helps to review what is the relationship that you have with your current workplace before you are so fast to throw in your resignation letter take a step back to relook at your work values and to see whether are there any side reframings and orientation that you can move around in order to make it a better fit rather than just okay I don't want to work at this place anymore sometimes you are too rushed in our decisions I think leaders need to do that to help employees more and the last one that I want to share is something that I got inspired by Brene Brown. In, in her recent podcast sharing, she shared this important concept of caring is not equivalent to control. And I think at the workplace, right, as leaders, uh, I mean, I was once a leader, I know how it feels. We always want to make sure that things are in control. But the near enemy of connection is actually control. So as much as we want to advocate, let's build positive connections and relationships with our colleagues and our employees. On the other side, when we try to control, we are actually affecting the connection because control is about problem solving. And this is something that is difficult, but I think it's something that leaders need to remember because when we go into control mode, we are actually trying to shift from other-focused to self-focused. Why? Because when there's a problem that happens, you want to quickly intervene and solve that problem so that this problem, I am in control. So let's say the employee goes through a tough time. Let's say the helper has left and then he needs to help the wife also take care of the kids at home. And then you realize that he's losing focus at his work. Going into control mode means you really go in and just whack and hammer the person and say, you need to improve on your work. This is unacceptable, blah, 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 blah. But when you go into caring mode, it's things like, I've observed this. And I heard that recently things are going tough in your family. How are things so far? And I realized that this could be an issue for you. And I'm concerned. How can I support you? Now, care comes first before you try to control. Now, at the same time, I'm not trying to suggest to leaders out there that no need to control. Just let everything loose and let people do what they want. Now, that's not what I meant. But I'm saying that before we try to put things in control, can we care first? Care first. Because once you care, they feel you care for, then you convey that message across, okay, but we need to put things in control. 
let's co-create that solution together. How can we go about overcoming this issue on hand? So when we let go of control and we choose to care first, it builds trust and it builds human connection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think just talk about the last point first and everybody would know that I'm a huge fan of her. So I love to be speaking to people who loves her work. I think she mentioned one thing in her book, Dare to Lead, which is everybody has to read this. She said, and I think the classic example just now you brought out, right? Whereby this person is stuck with commitments both at work at home and practicing that care first and empathy first, understanding the situation that that person's in and the struggle that that person has. And that's not to say that you don't hold that person accountable for whatever outcomes he or she needs to deliver after that. People tend to think that, oh, because you're being empathetic, which means you are just Chinese, like feng shui, you're just going to do openly mm. uh, new ways. No, no, it's not, right? It doesn't have to be polarizing. They can coexist together. And also what Brene Brown mentioned in the book, and she said was that, put the problem in front of us and not between us. I think a lot of times mm. when leaders come across this kind of situation, it's always, okay, you are at fault, right? Because you didn't do this. I don't care what's going on at your home or I recognize there's something on at home, but you know, you have to go and figure yourself out. You have to go and get a helper. You have to get someone, family member to help you, blah, blah, blah. What you are doing as a leader is you are putting the problem in, in between both of you yes. and the employee. But if you switch yes. and say, okay, now this is a problem, right? And I understand your situation. I also need you to understand that the company still has to function. The role has to deliver. So what can we do together to reach there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So It's so uh, right, right? I mean, as you share this, I remember Brené gave this example. Is the problem is right in the middle of the table between you and the employee. But what you need to do is to get the employee together to sit with you on the same side of the table to look at the problem together and to solve that issue. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yeah. I think that's really something that I've always been practicing, which is you can practice empathy first, right? I mean, the, the employees are humans at the very first place, right? Connecting with them, understand their struggle. Because to be honest, you could be as a leader facing the same struggles as well. And you will want your own leader to be treating you the same way, right? Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. then the other one was the third, third point when you talk about connecting personal values to organization values. I know there's a classic, I think it's organization behavior examples, I think, which is mm -hmm. the call center whereby they were, this, this group of call center agents, they were trying to help source or raise funds for children or students who have problem paying their scholarship, etc. Typically, as call center agents, it's not a very easy job, right? You probably get slang on the phone, don't know how many times. So what the management did was actually, they actually made the agents, the call agents, meet up with the scholarship beneficiaries and have the beneficiaries talk about how each of the funding that comes through the scholarship helped them to finish their studies, go on to better job, creating better life. And that interaction helped the call center agents to skyrocket their fundraising for the scholarship fund. Because mm. right now the call agents able to see that their work matters, that they are not yeah. just doing, they're just not part of, they're just not the, they're just not part of the machine. They are bringing some value to the whole value chain. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree with you. I hope the leaders out there, like just now what Matthew mentioned, which is number one, focus on strength, 
not to say you ignore weakness, you have to be cognizant and be aware of your weakness, but you have to understand that there's only so much you can do with weakness, but there's so much more you can do with strength. You, you will fly yeah. off. Yeah, further. Building social capital, I think this period of time, I mean, the past two years, we have been stuck at home, but I think right now, things are a little bit more stabilized. I'm sure people start to go back to office and that's what I also believe in, which is people should go back to office. Yeah, because there's nothing beats face-to-face interaction and having that bump to each other in the pantry to talk about certain things, right? I think that helps with that connections, that social capital that you mentioned. And then we talk about connecting personal values of the employees to the organization values and that last thing is care is not equivalent control. And the thing is working with the employee who has a problem delivering work, put that problem in front rather than between us and work together to find a solution. Yeah. Great. Matthew, thank, thanks for sharing so much about all this. I believe the listeners and the audience have learned a lot. So I understand that you have some future plans. Would you want to use this platform to share a little bit about those plans? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. So I started the Positive Arena in 2019. So y'all can also follow me on social media on Instagram, the Positive Arena SG, and find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I also have a Positive Arena podcast, which y'all can listen, talk about being related episodes that I invite different guests as well. And I'm actually in a transition phase now to setting up my own positive psychology training, coaching, and consultancy company in July 2022, with the aim of really trying to enable flourishing communities in schools, in in organizations, or even like this topic that we talk about today, how to help leaders become more intentional in the way they lead their organization. So things are really exciting and I can't wait for July to come to share more of this on my own LinkedIn page as well. Yeah, Yeah, great. We look forward to it. We're going to share some of these social handles that Matthew has in the show notes. So Matthew, we're going to go into this quick fire round yeah. just, just to also pay tribute to Brene Brown because she also has a quick fire round. So I thought yes, it was like fun yes. to, to do it, yeah. to end it. So you ready? Yeah, Sounds let's good. go. Let's go. Your favorite food? Okay, I, I can't think of one because I have two. So I love Japanese tonkatsu and ramen. Where should we go for this? Oh, wow. For ramen, I think... I still like Ipuro ramen for Japanese tonkatsu. Oh my, I eat so much until I forgot what's the name. Oh, Saboten is one of them, definitely. Ah, okay. Yeah. Anyway, they are not sponsors of this podcast. So just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my own preference. <laughs> Your go-to song? My go-to song would be... Mm, I love Chang Hui Mei. Yeah, I mean, Lumendo uh, Pop. What's the first country you would like to go now that no, the borders are easing out a little bit? I would really hope to visit Taiwan again, but now it's still not opening up yet. Yeah. yeah. So I've been there for yeah. four times, but I really love that country. Warm, nice, hospitable people. Yeah. Okay. The book that you think everyone should read? Brené Brown, Daring Greatly. I read that book. So inspired. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to tell people enough or repeatedly, all of you should read this book. This is... Yeah. Because she's so, she's such a storyteller, good storyteller. She's it's like a combination of science, of evidence-based research that she has done and supported by all these real-life stories that she went through herself mm. that makes it such an easy way. When you read it, oh yeah, this is also my life. This is also me. You can just connect it almost yes. instantly. Yeah. Yes. So everyone, you have to read it, all right? The craziest thing you've ever done in your life? My goodness, it's definitely running a half marathon, 21km, the Yolo why would run you, back then. Why would you put yourself that. I did a lot of 10km runs back then so I was like okay let's go for 21km and the worst thing was back then it wasn't organized well at the 14km onwards there were no water points anymore 
there's no more water. I felt like I was running in a, in a desert. I thought I was going to die because along the way, I see people collapsing with medics around and oh, that was the craziest thing. Yeah, so it was on the papers actually. Like, it wasn't well organized back then. Yeah. Okay. I guess Correct. positive psychology <laughs> push you through. <laughs> yeah, perseverance, right? Yeah, definitely. Tenacity and okay, you know, the angle is near, the angle is near. Yeah. <laughs> Share what's a, 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 a incident in your life that, that changed you tremendously. I think I'm very fortunate to have this teacher, this lecturer and this mentor whom I've known for about 17, 18 years. And recently she passed away. But she has been in the education sector for more than 30 years and impacted the lives of so many students. And I was one of the many. And that's also why I went into a teaching career. And I think what she has taught me was really being intentional and being caring to people around us or even to the next generation. And I really want to take this chance to share this because when I went for the wake, the eulogy that the brother gave really impacted me. And he said this, something along that line, I may paraphrase a bit, is that when we leave this world, it is not about the amount of success that we have accumulated over time that matters, but how much care and how much impact we have given to the people around us and that they remember about us, that matters even more. So that really makes me start to think, like, how do I want to use this one life that I have to inspire the many others around me? Yeah. So this is one incident that really changed my life. Yeah. And I guess that's why you and me, we went to podcast because we are hoping to use the mediums that we know of, that we can grab hold of, to bring about certain messages that we think the whole world needs to hear. And yes. that brings on yeah. to my last quick fire question. What is that one advice that you have ever received in your life or maybe a Reddit or digest it somewhere and you think that the whole world needs to know about it? I think for me, the advice would be that I've always received is I'm enough. I think as Asians particularly, some of us, you may fall into the trap of perfectionism. We want things to be perfect, but actually there's nothing to be, I mean, we can't reach perfect. We can only become better. And because when we keep going to that perfectionism chase, we are actually forgetting the fact that sometimes we are really enough. So this statement actually helps me to reorientate and realign myself that, yeah, life is very long. You can only strive to become better. Don't kill yourself by trying to be perfect because you are enough. Yeah. So and, I think, and I think that may connect with, we talk about leadership, positive leadership. Mm. I mean, yes, we are sharing tips and tricks to help leaders to get better, but there is no such thing as perfect leader and no, yeah and I think no. for leaders sometimes is to know that sometimes you have done what you could sometimes you have to make hard decisions sometimes you make unwelcoming decisions but it needs to be done you're not able to go keeping you cannot um, keep saving every kicks or soccer yeah. ball that's coming your way yeah. yeah which is why I think leaders that are listening to this podcast you may be struggling with trying to be a positive leader and you're learning and you're on the way there I think what is more important in this journey is that you must have self-compassion telling ourselves that it's a journey because no one will be a positive leader right from the start. Mm. Through all these experiences, we slowly learn and we slowly become better. And perhaps to those who are listening who are not leaders but your employees, reporting to your leaders, I think we do hear, right, certain employees may say, are you why the leader like that are so vulnerable, not good, not this, not that. You want your leaders to put up a front to always act like they are very okay and stuff. But have compassion to them as well. It's because it's only when leaders are vulnerable, leaders are self-compassionate, and likewise, subordinates support them. That's actually how a whole positive work climate comes together, if you think about it. 
when you remove that non-judgmental view of one another. So yeah. That that psychological safety. Yeah, precisely. Right. To know that it's okay to break down here. It's okay that we don't have the answer here. It's okay that we have to lean on each other. And I think according to Google, research is that psychological safety is the number one key trait to a high-performing team. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being on our show and sharing with us so much about your stories and how to be a positive leader. And we really wish you all the best in your new business venture. And uh, to every listeners out there, thank you so much. Uh, we hope to see you again then. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Javel. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoy it and have learned so much to level up your career and your workplace. I hope you can continue to support my work to impact more people and organizations to level up their leadership, culture, and performance. You can support me by giving reviews or subscribing to this podcast, share any memorable episode on your social media with your peers, or pledge a little token on Patreon. All the details can be found in the show notes below. I greatly appreciate your support, and I'll catch you next time in the Career Lounge.